And we'll talk to you tomorrow night from Chrysler. Until then, from Ann Arbor, good night. Dave Revson with us, Big Ten, that Road to Omaha show. Baseball selection special. You and I think my father must have been the two people watching. Yeah, I don't think the ratings speak for that. <laughs> what do we have to do to get Tom Bredeman and Charles Davis off Michigan games? The two games they do, App State and Toledo. <laughs> That's a heck of a question. I'm sure no one is happy to see them show up. I, I, I would have to believe that's the case. Havlick Hopkins tomorrow night. Big fight and only one person to talk to. That's great well, person. I love the fight because of basically what it does is it gives me two contrasting styles. Did you play on the Michigan rugby team, Bert? I started it in 1959. Mm-hmm. And I was captain or something. I, whatever the hell they did to get me out of the room. Right. <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm a Michigan fan. I bleed my maize in blue. And I wonder what happened to him last weekend. Was Jamie Farr the quarterback for Toledo? What the hell was that? This week they're a 24-point underdog, Bert, in Penn State. Has Michigan ever been a 24-point no, underdog? No, uh, never. I mean, Michigan is a proud team. It's a proud tradition. And all I ask is, please come back. Do something here, will you? Well, that was an awkward transition, but welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And hopefully the transition between W the wanker. That's <laughs> what it always stood for, by the way. Because I don't remember... Any transition that's been quite like this where there's been so much anticipation. Turmoil, too. That, uh, I mean, to see Obama behind a podium that says the office of the president-elect mm-hmm. of the United States, that may have been something that routinely occurred in the past, but it seems like the uh, policy directives may be actually getting some impetus from Obama. There, He met with uh, W today uh, to talk about the automotive industry. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so probably people are ready for a transition like, yeah, okay, he won. Let's, can we do this quicker? Can he be president now? Yeah, well, if we'd had a parliamentary system, Bush would have actually been removed uh, in view of the, uh, his incredible incompetence uh, involving Katrina. And, oh, yeah, months and months ago. Months and months ago. That would have been a vote of no confidence right there. And uh, we don't need to pick on Sarah Palin too much, but uh, it's rather remarkable to discover that apparently she didn't know which countries were in the NAFTA treaty and thought Africa was a country, didn't know it was a continent. Uh, this, by the way, has been is reported by Carl Cameron of Fox News. Well, the now, thing is, is that that's whether pro- that's false reporting or shall we say, deliberate leaking to uh, sort of scotch her presidential ambitions for 2012, which she openly expressed during the campaign. And I think there, are, at some level, if it's an internal leak from the McCain staffers, then you have to think that it has that, you know, mm-hmm. going for it, that it probably is a sort of a preemptive, oh, yeah, she's really not that smart, as if anyone needed another reminder. The thing is, is that that lack of knowledge in those two fairly simple matters um, really is quite common. And probably there's a great number of Americans who couldn't name the nations in the NAFTA treaty. That's true. Or but make a distinction the between of the Africa. continent and the country of Africa. You would think uh, that's sort of caught in 
elementary school. Um, one does wonder how Sarah Palin got through college. Uh, we won't speculate about that, but uh, even her answers in this bizarre um, press conference she had back in uh, Anchorage, I guess, I guess it was Anchorage where she was. Is that where she called them jerks? Well, she called, she said, yeah, some of them have been stinkers. That was the word she used, which uh, is a very odd. That's very old-fashioned. That's elementary school. Yeah. Actually. Now, don't be a stinker there, Tony. That's like third grade. But uh, her question on the uh, on the NAFTA issue is not terribly reassuring. Her answer, and I'll just quote what the New York Times reported by uh, William Yardley and Michael Cooper I remember having a discussion with a couple of debate preppers. So if it came from one of those debate preppers, you know, that's curious. But having a discussion about NAFTA, not. Oh, my goodness. I don't know who's part of NAFTA. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> I guess you're confirming the Carl Cameron story and... <clears throat> Um, she has this sort of bizarre ability of communication that is so reminiscent of Reagan, and we'll have to drop this quickly because she's not worth talking that much about. Uh, We're 15 minutes or through for now. Yeah. I. She'll be back, though. Hope that her and Michelle Bachman of Minnesota, who actually did win re-election. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I think they can maybe do a TV show together. Like Charlie's Angels, where they sort of roam around the Congress looking for anti-American members of Congress. Um, Sherlock Holmes style. One can uh, use a magnifying glass. The other one, one of those pompous Cagney and Lacey. British uh, top hats with a pipe. But, um, it, you know, it is strange. Her, her comment about the clothes... You know, the reporters write that she initially brushed off the criticisms, but on her return home, she decided to address them. She said that threats that the RNC would send lawyers to Alaska to audit the clothes that they had bought were false. Quote, there is no clothes audits except when the belly of the plane got cleaned out, all the piles of clothes that they had in there, they wanted me at my house to go through it and box things up and send it. What? <laughs> the belly of the plane. That's like a cargo plane. <laughs> what kind of clothes are we talking about? Well, apparently she was... Uh, apparently she was characterized by a leaker in the McCain, probably uh, George Romney or Huckabee uh, contingency of being a... Hillbilly, as she rummaged through the Neiman Marcuses around the country. So uh, I, I don't know if there's ever going to be any official closure on the Sarah pa uh, Palin close uh, scandal, but... Well, let's just turn the page. <laughs> turn the page and hope that those piles of clothes that right. fell out of the belly of the plane <laughs> can end up uh, in charity. I, I don't know where... You put fine clothes like that. Sell them on eBay. eBay. Like she claimed she did with the plane that apparently never happened.
Anyway, on to more serious issues. Uh, I wanted to give the Bush administration credit once again for uh, completely misleading the public about the seriousness of the unemployment uh, issue. Uh, for the third time, and then Bush is three for three on this, regarding elections in even number years, uh, conveniently for John McCain, the uh, labor jobs losses were revised upward by 125,000 jobs lost just for the month of September. This is the classic, uh, you know, cooking the numbers. And let's remember that the Bureau of Labor Statistics is headed by Elaine Chow, wife of Mitch McConnell, who was in a rather tough re-election battle down there in Kentucky. He won. Um, but I, I think that that's uh, remarkable. And when you see the most recent jobs losses and some of the info about that, just quoting from uh, Peter Goodman, and obviously the economy was heads and shoulders the number one issue in this campaign. Manufacturing jobs shrank by 90,000 in October. Construction jobs by 49,000. Retail by 38,000. And the financial industry by 24,000. According to Mark Zandi, chief economist at Moody's, who, by the way, was an uh, informal advisor to John McCain, the economy's long-term underlying growth prospects have been reduced, not forever, but maybe for five to ten years. That's a fairly serious statement. And it's interesting to note that the number of unemployed Americans leapt in October to 10.1 million, the largest number since 1983. That's, that's rather alarming. More than 22% of all unemployed people have been out of work for six months or longer, and only 32% of all unemployed people were drawing state checks in October because of restrictions and eligibility. More than half of all unemployed people drew benefits in the 1950s, and about 45% received state checks during the last recession in 2001. Um, the Reagan Democrats, made famous by Macomb County, um, seem to have gotten what they voted for. Reduced unemployment benefits. So nationwide uh, state you know some of these states just do not act actively participate in uh, issuing checks to uh, those that are quote unemployed and needless to say many uh, companies don't participate in the in the system uh, so these are serious numbers um, but in September alone and this is what I'm talking about in the revival or revised unemployment numbers uh, 284,000 jobs vanished, the Department of Labor now says, revising its initial estimate of 159,000. So that's a serious understatement of the September numbers. And I dare say that if this Friday unemployment report had preceded the election, uh, Obama would have won by even bigger margins than he did. As for Michigan, uh, Michigan is bluer than ever. Um, I think the Republican Party is virtually finished in this state because when Grand Rapids, uh, Kent County, starts voting mm. blue, um, they don't have a future here. I mean, <laughs> all the big urban... DeVos, no! Yeah, uh, the Amway headquarters. Well, I think they've renamed... Well, he spent more than anybody's ever spent in a Michigan gubernatorial campaign and lost pretty soundly. Pretty handily. And, um, 
you know, Carl Levin, uh, interestingly, got more votes in Michigan than Obama. Uh, just an interesting footnote. That's partially ticket splitters, but uh, hmm. whether there is a racial component to that um, is unknown. I think that the racial component, by the way, is a minimal thing here. Um, I think that the fascinating thing regarding the kind of the breakdown of the numbers other than the fact that every age group except people over 60 voted uh, overwhelmingly for Obama, which does not bode well for the Republican Party in the future unless they uh, radically uh, revisit the concept of being the party of ideas, um, was, of course, the, uh, the uh, Hispanic uh, decline. Um, now, Hispanics only consist of, consisted of 9% of the total electorate. But the margin for the Democrats voting blue was 36%. And needless to say, the immigration issue, which was virtually kept out of the campaign during the last year, did not help the Republican Party nationally. Um, it may have helped them in rural areas of Appalachia and uh, places like Arkansas and Louisiana, but it certainly hurt them in the Southwest. So this, whether or not this is a permanent realignment is, uh, we'll, we'll be, you know, we'll know in, in four years. Obviously, Obama, to some degree, has to uh, deliver. Interestingly, even in the state of Ohio, Obama actually got the same number of votes as Kerry. The difference was McCain got 300,000 less than Bush. So some of these, quote, battleground states are still going to be battleground states. But the historical paradigm of, of observing that New England and the Confederacy are sort of on opposite political spectrums politically continues. There's not a single Republican member of the House of Representatives representing New England uh, with Christopher Shays going down to defeat. And uh, there is... Uh, needless to say, big problems for the Republican Party because they're winning states that are just not growing, like Oklahoma and Mississippi, North Dakota, the Dakotas. Mm -hmm. um, they did carry Dick Cheney's uh, home state and George Bush's home state, but uh, that sort of hardcore confederacy, the George Wallace, uh, Barry Goldwater confederacy, is now Republican. And Lyndon Johnson famously remarked uh, when he signed the Civil Rights Act in 1965 that he had, quote, ceded the South uh, to the Republican Party for the next 40 years. This has now come to pass. There's been a steady historical realignment of many of these states. And I think that it's interesting how, you know, Bill Clinton utilized the Ohio River, Mississippi River strategy yeah. to gain huge electoral margins uh, in addition to the traditional blue uh, coastal areas. But uh, Obama used a sort of interesting combination of uh, benefiting from large African-American constituencies in North Carolina and Virginia. And the shocking numbers in Indiana are just remarkable. A 20% 20, 20 swing from the 2004 election, which, by the way, suggests to me that there was a much larger anti-Catholic uh, sentiment in the 2004 election against John Kerry than political scientists uh, dare comment about. How did that state go with back in Kennedy versus Nixon in 1960? Oh, I'm sure it went for uh, Nixon. Yeah. But um, um, Indiana and North Carolina 
Well, North Carolina, I take that back, did vote for Jimmy Carter in 76, but Indiana and Virginia had not voted uh, blue since 1964, the landslide of Lyndon Johnson. Right. So this gets back to this racial um, issue that um, I think, you know, is sort of meanders away, you know, through a, a kind of an area of America that, you know, um, we would call the Confederacy and the border states and these sort of farm uh, mountain areas. So uh, it's very interesting looking at these results. And uh, when you hear, for instance, that even Obama carried Cuban-Americans, quote-unquote, under the age of 30, you know that even an issue like Castro is starting to fade. Right, and actually there's item today on the front page of the Ann Arbor News about closing down Guantanamo as being a top priority uh, designation by the uh, Obama team. I want to just mention, too, that really for the first time, the so-called youth vote mm -hmm. actually materialized. And, you know, of course, McGovern was relying on that, and the famous line from uh, Honor Thompson's Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail book is, show me a candidate who relies on the youth vote to get him into the Oval Office, and I'll show you a loser. Right. Um, that proved not to be the case this time with uh, first-time voters and uh, voters in the 18 to 29 bracket, turning out to be rather sizable uh, portions of the Obama uh, totals, indeed. Yeah, he carried that... Uh, vote, by the way, according to polls, uh, by 34 points, which is a huge margin. And they consisted, by the way, of 18% of the electorate. So while it wasn't huge, it was big. It was substantial. Yeah. And, um, well, you know, if you're going to be a party of quote-unquote real America, to uh, paraphrase Sarah Palin, and your concept of real America is uh, rural and old <laughs> and ironically poor. Um, poor white people were one of the margins that McCain carried by the largest margins. Yeah, which is curious because I kept, you know, as the final desperate days of the campaign wound down, the, the one single point that both Palin and McCain would consistently reiterate was the whole socialism tag of Obama wants to spread the wealth around. And you started to think about it. Oh, wait a minute. There's probably some people in living out in the middle of nowhere in South Dakota who might not think that's such a bad idea. Might not. And, and, you know, it's a puzzling accusation because obviously Obama has sort of surrounded himself by very mainstream Wall Street yeah. capitalist types. Uh, you know, this economy is in serious um, shape. I mean, it, it, there, it, this is no longer are we in a recession? The question is, how long is this recession going to last and what on earth can be done to get us out of it? Um, you know, when there's open discussions, the GM... General Motors, that just, you know, eight or nine years ago was the largest uh, corporation in the world, um, is maybe confronting bankruptcy. Yeah, the headline in the Financial the Times. You know, the profound impact that that would have on the American economy is staggering. And if the uh, American government is willing to throw $150 billion at this criminal organization called the American Insurance Group, which, uh, you know, that has... Just the title itself has uh, very strange connotations. Scamopoly. <laughs> American Insurance Group. We are involved in very interesting corporate shenanigans. 
well, the government's throwing more money at them today, claiming, well, they're, uh, you know, I don't think there should be any money thrown at GM to buy Chrysler. That's nonsense. But, right. You know, pumping up the volume or the cash flow uh, for a period of time. Uh, well, what needs retooling. to happen with GM is, you know, going to have to happen at both ends. Because on the one hand, they're saying over the weekend, the Financial Times headline is GM warns it will run out of cash next year. Mm -hmm. And the uh, chief executive uh, insists, quote, we're convinced that the consequences of bankruptcy would be dire and would extend far beyond GM. Which in a sort of a through the looking glass way recalls the famous hubristic statement of the late 60s that what's good for General Motors is good for America. And so clearly what's bad for General Motors is bad for America, too. And indeed, it could be pretty bad. Um, even the Chamber of Commerce, yes, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, that most notoriously capitalistic uh, committee ever, uh, is lobbying the government for this cash assistance to the automotive industry. Their research shows that... Uh, if U.S. car makers cut output by 50%, some 2.5 million jobs could be lost in 2009. And, you know, an infusion of cash would be helpful to get GM through this difficult time. But car sales are their lowest in three decades. Yeah. And so I, as why I make a product and pay all that money to advertise a product that people aren't buying? Well, yeah, there are some structural problems with the entire automotive Maybe uh, light rail sector. is the answer. Um, maybe the idea of Americans owning two cars, you know, the average, you know, it's staggering when you, when I, I think the total number of vehicles in America is well over 200 million vehicles for 305 million people. Right. Um, by the way, there are approximately 110 million people that really can't drive. They're either too young or too old. Um, or like John McCain. Uh, campaign without their space helmet. <clears throat> um, that's a staggering concept. So this this American dream of owning two cars. You know, every family has two cars in the in the in the driveway in suburbia is um, perhaps coming to an end for a variety of reasons. And as well, I pointed, suburbia it, itself is uh, going to need something other than you know if that second car becomes unattainable or unaffordable, then. You know, where's this light rail system that would be so useful for the working world? Yeah, and how do you develop it? Because obviously, it w you know, railroads or rail lines have to connect population right. uh, areas. And, of course, the railroads have been neglected in America for way, way too long. I mean, this is a an infrastructure uh, area that uh, certainly... Obama, I think, can work on in the future. But as I pointed out several weeks ago, I think that might have been the show you missed uh, about uh, two months ago. I noted that in 2007, the u the use of home equity loans to buy cars was staggering. 30% in the state of California, 28% in New Jersey. I, wow. I, I named a bunch of big states in which home equity loans, in other words, people were taking money out of their house to buy a car, that's not available. That's part of this cash credit crisis right. that they keep talking about that is uh, nationwide. And by the way, a lot of American consumers are, quote, out of cash. Yep. Uh, they have to rely on credit cards. And what General Motors is essentially asking for is a credit card advance. Um, the implications of General Motors going bankrupt are staggering and will actually cost the government far more um, 
in the short term. And I am actually one of those people that seriously believe that General Motors should be given some sort of a loan. I was thinking over the weekend that maybe the Detroit Lions and the Michigan Wolverines could play a football game down at Ford Field, since they both had such horrible football seasons. One of them can get a win, and they can donate the money to General Motors. <laughs> that would be a great idea. That is a great idea. Let the football fans throw down some money. That would be entertaining. I bet the game would sell out. People I would bet be it would. Curious to see uh, who would win the game and how bad are the Detroit Lions. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. Are they worse than the Michigan economy? And can a lion beat a Wolverine in a fair fight? You know? Yeah. 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 Uh, so, yeah, fascinating stuff. The, the, uh, the other thing that I find just, uh, just criminally, om and a criminal omission by the media and even the current discussion about where the government's priorities are, I've been reading a book called The Pornography of Power, How the Defense Hawks Hijacked 9-11 and Weakened America by Robert Scheer, a longtime Los Angeles uh, Times um, reporter. I guess he worked for the Chronicle. And interestingly, from my perspective, used to work for Ramparts, the sort of oh, yeah, yeah. cultish uh, 60s magazine that uh, had all sorts of very interesting... The left wing of the folky movement. Yeah, and, and you know, are in the COINTELPRO right. nonsense and did some very interesting exposés of some very strange goings-on by the government back uh, in the 60s. Yeah, Cher is good. I've read some things by A him. A very uh, good book. But as he points out repeatedly in this book, and he goes into the uh, rather troubling uh, connections between the uh, neoconservative hawks, how they're connected to the defense industry. He keeps pointing out, though, that defense spending is more than 50% of discretionary spending by the federal government. John McCain was talking about the earmarks during the uh, mm. campaign. That totals about $16 billion total. Um, and one of the first orders of business, by the way, is cutting Alaska off. I mean, Sarah Palin's got all kinds of clothes up there, and they've just reelected a, a convicted felon. Who's who's a master of earmark pork and nonsense? You know the bridge to nowhere. Right. Thanks, but no thanks. Oh, but we'll take the money. Thank you sure. very much. Yeah, that yeah, well, proved to be a fraud. So why is Alaska getting all this federal money uh, from the government? But getting back to this uh, defense uh, issue, it's staggering. I, early on in the book, um, he reports uh, that based on. You know, recent budgets, according to one expert, uh, that the total national security budget of the United States has ballooned to over $850 billion. You know, here we're talking here about the, quote, homeland security, the, uh -huh. the Pentagon budget. And he goes into the wasteful weapons uh, procurement. Um, the weapons that are being purchased for no reason whatsoever, uh, noting, for instance, that the F-16, which is uh, the sort of the premier American fire, uh, you know, fire, air firefighter. Fighter jets. Fighter jets globally. We sell these to Pakistan and Israel. Uh, no problems. Never been defeated in a battle anywhere ever in military history. And yet the American Pentagon wants to upgrade to a totally expensive, irrelevant, more expensive, sophisticated fighter jet. It's this kind of uh, pork and wasteful spending that needs to be addressed. And uh, Obama should look at why Bill Clinton did have some economic success 
uh, during the 90s. And it was, of course, relative, so to speak. But the deficits were reduced. There was a small uh, increase in uh, tax uh, rates on, on the super rich. But there was also a big decrease in defense spending. And no one can argue that uh, decreased defense spending uh, hurt America in, in a military sense, because the terrorism problem has nothing to do with the weapon systems we right. have. And for instance, not a single soldier was lost in Bill Clinton's big military uh, war uh, in Yugoslavia. Not one. You know, Ron Brown died in a plane crash, but that's different. So uh, this is a highly recommended book, The Pornography of Power, How Defense Hawks Hijacked 9-11 and Weakened America. Particularly good, by the way, on Richard Pearl, hmm. one of the architects of the Iraq War, and um, met with Benjamin Netanyahu along with uh, David Wormser and uh, well, that other clown that worked for uh, Rumsfeld, whose name is Escape Fife, Douglas Fife. Yeah, that was the... Uh, 1995 uh, meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu in which they openly discussed overthrowing Saddam Hussein, and this eventually became the policy of the American government to our dismay. Well, you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. It's uh, getting close to the top of the hour, and you're listening to Gray Matters. A couple uh, of strange items that I have. We always like to throw one or two of these in for uh, in honor of uh, how bizarre our country is. Uh, over the weekend, they reported, and this is an Associated Press story, a 90-year-old woman in Evanston, Illinois, apparently had been living in a house with the body of three siblings, one of whom had been dead since the early 1980s. <laughs> Psycho. Is that mom? I'm, you're not taking me down in the fruit cellar. <laughs> She's down in the fruit cellar. <laughs> that is uh, pretty frightening. Well, you know, it's a lonely world. And, of course, we have uh, the very famous front page story from the Ann Arbor News that I cut out and then neglected to uh, read oh. <laughs> about the man in, uh, in, this is from South Charleston, West Virginia, Associated Press, says that a man was arrested um, in West Virginia, Jose Cruz of Clarksburg. He was pulled over for driving without headlights and uh, apparently is being charged with battery by flatulence because he pulled a stinker <laughs> Sarah Palin might say and started fanning the, <clears throat> the gases towards the officer oh that's absurd <laughs> it's absurd but well yeah I knew a guy once who was charged with assaulting an officer and if you were to have videotaped the uh, incident, you would have seen, as we saw, that our friend, if he did insult the officer at all, it was by repeatedly hitting the officer's nightstick with his head. That's what they called assault. Mm -hmm. So I think if the officer can't stand the uh, fart, he should back away from the car. Speaking of farts and backing away from cars, uh, information uh, unearthed recently in documents stored right here in Ann Arbor at the Gerald R. Ford Presidential Library confirm what many have suspected all along, that the Nixon and Ford administrations created conditions that helped destabilize Iran in the late 1970s and contributed to the country's Islamic revolution. 
This is no secret. But now these new documents uh, confirm, indeed, that Donald Rumsfeld, whose fingers seem to appear whenever messes are made, quite a stinker himself. A big stinker. A big stinker. In fact, uh, once threatened uh, an Iranian general who served underneath the Shah, much beloved of Nixon and for 